Hey, welcome back to This One's a Doozy. I'm Kevin. And I'm Haley. And we talk about stories of mystery, true crime, and folklore of the unusual, unsettling, and oftentimes unsavory goings on of our world today, yesterday, and long ago. Bingo. Right on the money. That's right. Right 10 out of 10. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) How you doing? I'm good. Good. I'm I'm ready. Have a busy day? I did have kind of a busy day. You were were kind of all over town today. Last couple of days. Yeah. It was a lot. Well, because you were sick last week, you're Mm -hmm. like now having to do double time on like everything. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I'm like really trying to pick up the pace a bit. You're doing it. Proud of you. Yes. Oh, thank you. I'm proud of you. You you fired out a bunch of episodes. We had a special Patreon only episode earlier this week. That was a fun one. Yes. So if you are feeling the FOMO, you need to get on Patreon and uh, you can subscribe for five bucks a month. And make wow, sure you don't miss those. Patreon plug right I, I know. at the top, I'm, Kevin. I'm unashamed. I'm unashamed <laughs> at this point. Because it was a good episode. It, honestly, it was a great episode. And it was a little bit disappointing that it's only for the Patreon uh, subscribers. Mm. But not disappointing because it means if you really want to get the goods, you know where to go. The thing is, is I'm not going to like skimp on quality just because we have fewer listeners over on that mm-hmm. platform. And so I'm like, I'm still picking top tier stories just with a little bit less specific guidelines. Like I have like really annoying guidelines for a regular episode. Yeah. And like I am imposing them on myself. Nobody asked for them. (laughs) But those those little uh, gates come crumbling down over on Patreon. That's true. Yeah, Mm. that was a fun one. The Watcher. That's right. Yeah. Well. Now we need to make sure that we answer the question that people really are here to hear. Mm-hmm. What are you drinking tonight? So I internally was at war mm-hmm. with myself because it is nighttime. Mm-hmm. But I've been waiting for a couple of days to try the cold brew that I made with a very special element. Mm. I made cookie dough cold foam. Oh, that that is something And I special. used the Flavor God chocolate donut. Spring, uh, seasoning for like sprinkles. Uh-huh. 10 out of 10. Delicious. 10 out of 10. So good. I've said that now twice on this episode. Better than anything else that you could get at any coffee shop and spend $7 on. Yes. Wow. I All agree. Right. I, I completely agree with that statement. It is very good. I took a sip of it. Now we've reached a milestone for you. Why this don't you true. tell everyone what you are drinking? This is true. Well, I, uh, in, in case you haven't been listening before, I received a very kind Christmas gift this year called the On the Rocks Premium Cocktails Collection. And I just cracked open my very last premium cocktail of one of my very favorite drinks of all time, the Old Fashioned. I'm surprised they could bottle that. Is it like up to snuff? It is. So it's it's made with Knob Creek, Kentucky bourbon, Mm -hmm. bitters, natural flavors, you know, everything that that is in an old fashioned, except for the things that requires actual skill to include. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and I'm, uh, I've not taken a sip yet, but let me All just right. right here live, a live reaction, <laughs> live reaction. Oh yeah. That is very good. Well, Hey, look oh, at wow. that. Are you glad you saved it for last? I am good. I'm actually really impressed because you know, it could have been okay or it could have been pretty bad. That's, about as good as I've, of of, a, of an old fashioned that I've had. Wow! Now I'm sad I'm finishing it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
All right. Well, my love, what is the feel-good fact this week? So gorillas sing little songs when they eat. (laughs) In captivity, gorillas tend to sing louder when they're eating their favorite foods, and all gorillas tend to do it. In the wild, only the dominant male gorilla will sing, which I guess is it functions hmm. to inform the group that it's mealtime and that nobody may be excused until the singing is done. Oh, so it's funny. more of like a social cue. Huh. Isn't that really cute? They have really little cute. happy songs when they're eating their favorite foods. Oh, <laughs> to be fair, we also do that, but it's not it's not a social thing. It's actually something we would only do in private. But I don't speak for yourself, dude. <laughs> I just thought that was really cute. That is very cute. That is a feel-good fact. Yes. Look at those gorillas. Yeah, so a little note before we begin the story. Okay. So while I was researching this story, I noticed a discrepancy in the pronunciation of the word Appalachian. Mm. After digging a little deeper, I learned that it can be pronounced Appalachian or Appalachian. Okay. Um, lay or latch being the difference, depending on the region. But the majority consensus prefers it to be pronounced Appalachian. Okay. So I want to respect that. If my pronunciation is distracting to anyone who pronounces it Appalachian, mm-hmm. I apologize in advance, but that is my opening disclaimer. That's a that's a good disclaimer. I'll say I have always said it Appalachian. Mm-hmm. So it's that is a, a good uh, discrepancy even between the two of us. Yeah. So. Yeah, so I'm just rolling with it. I was like at war once again with myself, how do I do this? Yeah. So I'm saying Appalachian. Okay. Okay. Well, why don't you go ahead and take us away with this seemingly Appalachian uh, story? Yes. So we're back this week with another true crime story. On May 6th, 2008, two longtime friends, Scott Johnston and Sean Farmer, took a fishing trip up to an area they'd fished many times before in an area called Dismal Creek in Virginia which is a scenic spot off of the Appalachian Trail. Scott had found a great fishing spot and he was fishing alone, having great luck reeling in rainbow trout. Hmm. After catching six large fish that he loaded up into his cooler, he started to pack up his truck. Now that fishing was wrapped up, he planned to go meet up with Sean at their campsite when suddenly a skinny, dirty man and a mangy, hungry-looking dog strolled up and struck up a conversation with Scott. Immediately, Scott felt a sort of pity for the straggly-looking man who introduced himself as Ricky Williams. Hmm. Scott thought that Ricky was possibly like an alcoholic or maybe was struggling with some kind of mental impairments, and he definitely looked as if he'd been living in the woods. Hmm. It struck Scott as odd that Ricky said that he'd had no luck fishing that day because the fish were biting like crazy. Hmm. Wondering if the man was just hungry, Scott decided to extend kindness to the lonely man and invite him back to the campsite where Sean was waiting for them so that they could cook up Scott's catch. Oh, okay. As night fell, Ricky weaved some tall tales about his life, all obviously too far-fetched to be real. After a nice meal, Ricky called his dog over and walked off into the night. The next thing either of the men knew, there was a loud boom, a sudden blindsiding gunshot ringing out in the night followed by more gunshots. Mm. Scott and Sean, severely wounded in the middle of the woods, quickly figured out that they would have to fight like hell if they were going to survive the night. This is the story of Lion Randall and the murders he committed on the Appalachian Trail. Oh, wow. Hang on, Kev. This one's a doozy. Okay. 
All right. So let's kick this thing off by talking about the Appalachian Trail, where a majority of today's story will take place. The Appalachian Trail is the iconic and historic trail located in the eastern United States. The trail is 2,200 miles or 3,500 kilometers and stretches from the entry point in Georgia all the way up into Maine, passing through 14 states. So it's huge. Oh, yeah. Wow. It's managed and maintained by 31 trail clubs, as well as National Park Service, United States Forest Service, and a nonprofit called the Appalachian Trail Conservancy. Somewhere between two and three million hikers pass through at least a portion of the trail each year, as well as between 800 and 900 through hikers who hike the entirety of the trail each year. The trail features all kinds of land features from mountain ranges and ridges to dense forests and deep valleys. Overall, it's a remarkable feature within the United States, and the biggest dangers for hikers on the trail include unpredictable weather, steep and rugged terrain, high winds, and risk of health-related dangers such as exposure. Mm, Yeah. And while you may encounter some potentially dangerous critters, such as one of the two species of venomous snakes that are native to the area, spiders, bears, rabid wildlife, or stinging insects, generally speaking, they will leave you alone if you leave them alone Mm. and know what signs to watch out for in case one of them is nearby. One of the lowest risks for hikers on the trail is being attacked or killed by another human. Since 1974, there's been an average of one murder every four years, meaning that you have somewhere around a point zero 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 three percent chance of yeah. being murdered on the trail. Huh. Other assaults do take place in small numbers each year as well. That's not to say there aren't risks of running into someone dangerous out there, but the sure. risk for that is generally low. So enter in Lion Randall, Randall Lee Smith. Okay. Randall was born in 1953, and by the time he was six months old, his parents had gotten divorced. Mm. From that time forward, Randall was raised exclusively by his mother, Loretta, who worked at the Giles Memorial Hospital, where she worked either as a custodian or as a nurse's aide. I've seen both jobs reported, so I'm not sure if she had worked in both positions or in just one or the other. Sure. But yeah, thought that was worth mentioning. Unfortunately, Loretta struggled to make ends meet. For a while... She and Randall would stay at friends' homes for short periods of time, and they would also go through periods where they would sleep in Loretta's car, which is sad. That is sad. Eventually, Loretta and Randall lived in a few small houses alone in an unincorporated neighborhood within the small town of Parisburg, Virginia, before they finally settled into their home where they would live in for the rest of their life. Fortunately for them, Randall's aunt and uncle lived next door, and they would take an interest in helping Loretta care for Randall when she was out working, Hmm. which is nice. That's nice. So he was a little bit of a reclusive child. Like, he didn't really have many interests. He also didn't have uh, many friends. Like, the neighborhood Mm -hmm. kids would be out running around playing, and he was never really interested in joining them. Hmm. Uh, They they weren't quite sure why, but his uncle noticed And he really wanted to help him get interested in something. So he started taking him on walks on the nearby Appalachian Trail that passed around Parisburg. He showed him how to find arrowheads and really tried to help him grow as a person. Hmm. So his uncle and aunt, they were, they seemed like really good people. Yeah. As a very small child, Loretta inexplicably dressed Randall up in like typically feminine clothing. Hmm. And she introduced him to people as her daughter. Oh, okay. But from what hmm. I gathered, it was a short season that she did that, and it wasn't something that Randall had expressed because he was like an infant. Sure. She okay. did that from the time he she had gotten divorced until he was hmm. about three and yeah. told her, I don't like this. 
And like other friends and family members noticed and were like, hey, like, is everything okay? And she'd be like, yeah, just me and my daughter hanging out. So I don't know if maybe she was just having a moment of like really high stress from being a single mom, you know, dealing with going through divorce and how trying to dissociate some more. Yeah. And it would be, I feel like he, yeah, especially because he was like, I don't like this. Yeah. So it stopped and it never happened again. Uh, So it's just a random oddity that I saw reported about his tiny years. So like I kind of mentioned already, from a very young age, Randall was definitely happiest when he was alone. Mm -hmm. For much of his childhood, he decided that he just wanted to hang out in his room alone in his home, which was concerning to Loretta and Randy's aunt and uncle. Yeah. He never really cared to have any friendships with other kids, but he would take every opportunity that he could to tell these like outlandish stories to his classmates once he hit school age. Hmm. He told them that his father was a war hero who died in action or that his family was secretly rich but didn't want to be flashy about it. Hmm. His stories didn't help him make any friends. Sure. The kids at school all knew that he was making the stories up. And this is kind of sad. They would tease him. And they were the ones who gave him the nickname Lion Randall at Mm. this time. And it would stick for like the rest of his life. He attended the local Giles High School, but never participated in any activities at the school, such as like sports or band or choir. Mm -hmm. And he really didn't do much outside of school either. It seemed like he was just content with being alone and didn't have many personal interests. Which there's a degree of that that I feel like is just normal. Like some people just prefer privacy. They want to go read a book. They want... They liked sitting and thinking. Right. So there's nothing, I just wanted to be clear that there's nothing specifically wrong with enjoying alone time. Yeah. But I think that with him, there are so many other factors at play Mm -hmm. that I feel like that did shape how he became as an adult in a negative way. Interesting. That's not always the case. Right. I mean, I would say you and I are in the group that would would rather just kind of have that time Mm -hmm. alone. That mm-hmm. space, it's like, don't really want to be a part of a big thing right now, you know, right. whatever. But right. Or hang out with like one friend only for like three straight months every right. day. <laughs> yeah. There's, it is yeah. interesting though that he would have like nothing throughout all of those years. And this is also the 60s, 70s, mm-hmm. you know, where it's right. like, there's not quite as much of a... <laughs> of a general openness to go and have your alone time by yourself. Right. Like that would probably be even more concerning back then than it would be today. True. He didn't finish high school leaving Mm. during his junior year. And he, from there traveled between his home in Ingram to Newport news, Virginia, where he worked as a welder at a shipyard. Mm. But Randall's tendency to make up tall tales followed him into his adulthood, which made it hard for him to maintain a steady job. He was fired from his first job and from several other jobs that would follow. He ended up working for a man named John Spower, who was probably the closest person that Randall really ever had in his life apart from his family. Hmm. Despite his unreliable, fanciful tendencies, John really gave Randall a chance at getting his feet on the ground and finding some level of professional success. Spower employed Randall at his auto shop and just kind of let him come and go as he pleased without really asking many questions. Hmm. And he would disappear for weeks at a time, sometimes for a couple of months. And then he would just show back up at the shop with some crazy story. Like he was engaged to a rich woman from out of state, so he's going to move in with her. Or that his kids were sick, but Randall didn't have any kids. Yeah. So nobody 
quite knows why John Spower let Randall's bad behavior slide and why he kept him on the payroll, but it's probably pretty safe to guess that he took compassion on Randall. Mm -hmm. He was obviously lonely and wanted more out of life than what he had. So it sounds like John just had a soft spot for him and really just wanted to be a friend and a helper to Randall. So that's really great. 10 points to John Spower for being a nice guy. Oh, for sure. The fact that he had this job did help him earn enough money to be able to better explore his only true hobby, hiking. He bought himself some solid gear, uh, and with his frequent hikes, he began to put on some muscle and got himself into really great shape. He would go hiking all the time, and it wasn't uncommon for him to hike with a group of people who also happened to have been on the trail. Rangers and staff who worked in the area of that trail were also pretty familiar with Randall Hmm. and they all agreed that he was kind of, he was a little odd, but he seemed to be pretty harmless. Yeah. Sadly, they were wrong in their assessment. Oh man. On May 19th, 1981, Randall would cross paths with two hikers, Laura, Susan Ramsey and Robert Mountford. So a quick note about Laura, Susan Ramsey. I've seen her as Laura Ramsey, Susan Ramsey, or by her nickname. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to kind of interchange between Laura and her last name, just for sake of clarity on the story for anybody okay. who's already familiar with it. Yeah. Just, yeah. So a little side note. So Ramsey and Mountford were both 27 years old and they were social workers from Maine who were hiking the Appalachian Trail to raise money for the mentally disabled children that they worked with at a facility in Ellsworth, Maine. Hmm. So it was like a, like a charity hike. Yeah, that's cool. They began their trek in Georgia and planned to hike the whole trail in just seven months. I don't know if that's fast or moderate or mm, what, but okay. to hike 2,200 miles in that short of a time frame, to me, like that blows that, my mind. That still takes... That's really yes, impressive. that's a lot. They were looking forward to having their names added to the list of roughly 600 others at the time who had their names added to the list of end-to-enders, hmm. the people who hiked the entirety of the trail from end-to-end. Wow. They were making excellent progress and were set to complete their hike right on schedule. When they reached the trail right outside of Parisburg, they had been walking with the woman that they'd met on the trail, which is a very common thing. Like Mm. you'll hike a portion with somebody you meet on the trail. Yeah, yeah. And then part ways for whatever reason. Maybe you'll see each other again. Maybe you won't. Yeah. So that's normal. So the pair told the woman about their goals for the hike and how they were so excited and happy with their progress and that literally nothing could stop them from completing it because they were so close and so determined to reach the end. Hmm. Right outside of Parisburg, Ramsey and Mountford decided to take a stop so that they could rest and pick up a few supplies. The woman went ahead with her journey, anticipating to see them within a few hours after her own arrival at the end of the trail, but they didn't arrive. Oh, no. She decided to hang back because it really stuck with her that they were so certain about their success in the hike. And Mm -hmm. she kind of like just wanted to be there to see it. Yeah. So when they still hadn't arrived the following day, the woman called the Virginia State Police to report her concerns. Mm. She really made note about like something immediately felt off because they were so determined. Yeah. And they were obviously very experienced. They... They knew what they were doing, and this is a big deal to them. And Mm -hmm. so the fact that they're a day later than they anticipated to be, I'm worried about that. Right. When they're only a few hours away. Yeah. She did the right thing. Yeah. She absolutely did the right thing. So given the fact that there were about a thousand reasons for a hiker or a group of hikers to get delayed by a few days, or even more than a few days, police were not initially concerned. Hmm. People go missing for a short period on the trail all the time, and they reappear. Sure. 
the state police sent the file over to Giles County Sheriff's Office, where Deputy Sheriff Thomas Lawson began to look into their disappearance. As was the protocol, Lawson called Laura's family and Robert's family to see if they'd been in any sort of communication with them. Mm -hmm. When both families reported that they hadn't heard anything, Lawson's alarm bells began to ring, especially when Robert Mountford's father, Robert Sr., urged them not to waste any time in looking for his son. Mm. He said that his son was an extremely experienced outdoorsman, and given the fact that the trail near Parisburg was extremely well-marked, there was really no reason to assume he'd gotten lost. Yeah. Oh, man. Robert Sr. also said that if they'd decided to take a break, maybe at a hotel or something like that for a few days, that he would have heard from him. Mm -hmm. He also sent in a photo of Robert to help the search efforts as well. So there, I, I have to commend how proactive everybody seems to be, yeah. like from the get-go. Because you yeah. don't, we don't always see that. And sometimes right. it's like, man, if you would have looked into this right away, then less people would have been hurt or killed, you know. And so I just want to commend the quick action. Mm -hmm. Lawson immediately sprang into action, opting to search the trail on his own. He chatted with a few hikers and learned that someone had seen them near the Wapiti Shelter which is a small shelter set up for hikers to stay for the night if they needed like a rest stop yeah. during their journey. From there, Lawson stopped at various trail registers, which were locations where hikers could sign in into like a book and yeah. mark their progress and they could leave little notes to encourage other hikers yeah. to keep going. Well, I'm sure if you're an end to ender, though, that's something you that you- stop at every one. Yes, exactly. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and a lot of people will also write little notes about how things are going like- Yeah physically, how they're feeling mentally, all that kind of stuff too. Mm -hmm. And so police will often look at those registers to kind of gain an understanding of a missing person yeah. and like their timeline of travel to maybe narrow down a location. Yeah. Like if we wow. know they last signed in here, then we kind of have a yes, frame of reference for searching. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So at a register north of Parisburg, the book was missing, which mm. seemed odd to Lawson. He headed into town and began questioning workers at local shops in case Ramsey and Mountford had stopped at any of them and given workers any clues about, you know, yeah. where are you going to go next? Yeah. Hmm. Things like that. So when he asked an employee at one of the resupply stops, Lawson was surprised when the employee told him that he actually did remember seeing Ramsey and Mountford a few days before hmm. and that they appeared to be in good health and in good spirits, but they hadn't given any information about where they planned to head next. Or like a timeline or anything. Yeah, yeah. Other employees said that they'd also seen the pair, but once again, no clues about where they were going next. After talking to a few more employees, Lawson finally got a tip that he would eventually be able to follow up on. One employee said that a local man had come into the store a few days after the couple had, and that he had claimed to have known what happened to the missing hikers. This man was none other than Lion Randall, so Lawson initially wrote the tip off. Yeah. He's like, okay, yeah, Lion Randall knows what happened. Like, he's the one that found right. the people that we can't find. Oh, okay. my gosh, yeah. So he did make note of the statement and then continued on with his search. Locals around the town were abuzz about the missing hikers. Hmm. While it wasn't uncommon for hikers to go missing, they almost always showed up either further down the trail, at a local hotel or shop, or heading home if they decided not to continue their hikes for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. But this one felt different to everybody. Hmm. Finally, nearly two weeks after they'd gone missing, on May 30th, Lawson decided to rally up a group of investigators, and together, they would all go check out the Wapiti shelter, where the pair was reported to have been seen. 
Oh, Remember the shelter? Okay. Yes, yes. So when they got there, the first thing they noticed, apart from the fact that there were no people inside, was some discoloration on mm. the shelter. Oh, no. These shelters are usually one color, like an unstained wood. Mm-hmm. And this one was recently built and show it should have been in great condition. Right, right. But the inside floorboards were a dark brown color. Hmm. Immediately worried that this was blood, Lawson got out his pocket knife, knelt down, and began picking between the floorboards with his knife. When he pulled it out and a mix of what appeared to be mud and blood was stuck to the knife, he called in for backup. Wow. One of the accompanying investigators used a crowbar to pull back the floorboards, and when they looked under the floorboards, there were pools of blood. Oh, my gosh. So they quickly blocked off the shelter as a crime scene. When more investigators came in and started to process the scene, the next step was to divide and conquer. Since there were no bodies at this point, but definitely a concern about the amount of blood at the scene— Investigators decided to search the immediate area surrounding the shelter. And after a very short time, one investigator stumbled upon a pile of leaves and debris that appeared to have been covering something. Mm. When they carefully brushed the leaves and debris away, they found a sleeping bag. They carefully unzipped the sleeping bag, and inside was the body of Laura Susan Ramsey. Oh, my gosh. She had been stabbed 13 times. Whoa, what? She had defensive wounds on her arms and hands, meaning she uh-huh. fought her attacker. Yeah. And when they turned her body over, they discovered that her skull had been split wide open. Oh. They removed her body from the sleeping bag, and that's when they found a fire poker and a huge spiked nail, presumably the murder weapons. Yeah. They also believed that a knife had been used for some of the stab wounds. Due to the state of her remains, they couldn't determine whether or not she had been sexually assaulted, but many investigators said that there were indicators of mm-hmm. sexual assault, but they couldn't confirm it. Sure, yeah. They had her body taken to a nearby morgue and continued their search for Robert Mountford. The following day, cadaver dogs were brought into the area, and quickly, Robert's body was found, also buried, also in a sleeping bag. Hmm. He had been shot three times. Twice shot in the face. Times? Wow. Twice in the face and once in the head. Oh. So the next move was apparently controversial. Lawson decided to close off this portion of the trail so that they could investigate it more thoroughly without any potential evidence getting destroyed by hikers Mm -hmm. and without putting hikers in danger because they don't know who did this. Right, right. Apparently people were mad about that, like angry, which Mm. I really don't understand. And like, I can plead ignorance on that. Like if there's ever a good reason to close something down, yeah. Like, I feel like a double homicide investigation is probably a good reason. That, that would be a good tip off to maybe just say, let's just go around this part. Yeah. And they did close off a pretty big area. They closed off the whole Giles County area. Yeah. Which I didn't check like the mileage on that. But from the minute that they closed down that portion of the trail, they decided we need to keep it closed for the duration of the investigation, mm-hmm. which I feel like makes logical sense. But the federal government kept the pressure on Giles County police to either reopen the trail immediately or to, like, regularly issue statements informing the public that there's not a serial killer on the loose and that everything is fine and y'all should be hiking anyways. Hmm. So I just thought that was a weird weird. detail. Yeah. that's. It feels irresponsible, too. Like, do you want to be the one who issued that statement and then more people get killed? Right. And, like, also how insensitive to the families. Right. Of the people who were killed on the trail that yeah. deserve a full and thorough investigation. Like, okay, federal government, maybe mind your own beeswax yeah. for a minute. It I just, don't know. it kind of, it, it begs a lot of questions about what's really most important. Mm-hmm. And it also is like, 
why why wouldn't they like at the very least just like give an alternate route mm-hmm. you know i know mm-hmm. you can't like totally create a whole new trail that's mm-hmm. like just as well worn but you can do something to make I would imagine a lot of the frustration is from hikers who are wanting to to either go end to end or just hike a certain chunk of a trail that they've right. never hiked before. And they only have this much time to do it before they go back home or whatever. So I, like, I understand. Yeah, that's a good point. I also think that it's important to remember that there's like 31 agencies who oversee the trail as a whole. Yeah. And so maybe it was just a little confusing about like who actually has jurisdiction in making this choice. That's fair. Yeah. And so I can I can give wiggle room for that. But I think at the end of the day, the integrity is always going to be like more important to me personally. Yeah. I know that my personal conviction yeah. <laughs> isn't the law of the land, but something about that was just like, okay, guys, really? Yeah. So Well, and at some point- I feel like the strongest argument to close it mm-hmm. is to protect people from any right. further right. murders. But the other side of it that I think is still very important is to limit the amount of tampering with right. evidence and mm-hmm. the surroundings. And so obviously there's a point where it's already been so many days Mm-hmm. There's plenty of tampering that's already happened. I mean, this has already been two weeks. Oh, yeah. You know, okay. since the, Even they went than missing. I, than I thought, yeah. So, I mean, there's still a lot that's happened that it's kind of like, well, at what point is it no longer, like, effective to close things sure. down? Either way, it's still kind of like, well, two weeks is still likely better. Right. Well, it feels <laughs> like know? Giles County was trying to weigh it out. Yeah. And they were, like, responsive to these uh, not demands, I feel like that's too strong of a word, but these urgings mm-hmm. coming from the federal government. And I feel like they were just really trying to balance out how they were handling it. Yeah, sounds which I, like it. I can appreciate that. So I can too, yeah. Within a short time frame, several items belonging to the victims were discovered. Clothes, basic hiking supplies, a camera that was missing its film, and other items were found in various places in the nearby forest. Oh, wow. These items were buried hidden under logs and inside of trees. And so it was obvious that whoever did this was trying to conceal their deeds by hiding the belongings of the victims. Mm -hmm. It was discovered that several of the trail registers leading up to the one north of Parisburg had also been taken, most likely in an effort to confuse investigators from piecing together a clear timeline of Ramsey's and Mountford's trek. Wow. So they also discovered a backpack that belonged to Laura Susan Ramsey. Hmm. Inside were two paperback novels, and on the inside cover of one of them was a bloody print. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. These things were sent off for processing. After running the print, the system had no record of a match, mm-hmm. but within a few weeks, a match was uncovered. The fingerprint matched records from a shipyard in Newport News, Virginia, oh. who fingerprinted all of their employees. Yeah. The print belonged to none other than Randall Lee Smith. Wow. After contacting the shipyard, they learned that Randall no longer worked there, but that he did live with his mother in, like, a suburb of Parisburg. Mm -hmm. So they got a warrant and went to the home to follow up. When they arrived, it was noted that the Wapiti shelter was roughly a mile away from the house where Randall lived. Oh, man. And one of them made the point that, like, had there not been a dense forest between the house and the shelter, you would have been able to see it from his house. It was that close. Jeez. Okay. Which is relevant. Yeah, yes. So when they knocked and nobody answered the door, they broke down the front door and began to look around. 
When they got to the basement, they found a pile of bloody clothing that had been soaking in water, and they found several items belonging to the victims inside of the home. Woo! That's a smoking gun if there's anyone. Oh, right. Jeez. They searched Randall's bedroom and discovered a note. So I couldn't find the actual like full note, just kind of like an explanation of it. So the note claimed that he was being framed for the murders of two hikers and that the real killers had kidnapped him and were going to kill him next. Oh, boy. Randall. It was quickly determined that the note was written by Randall. And that's when the tip about Lion Randall came back to Lawson's mind. Mm hmm. It became very quickly obvious that the nickname was pretty ironic because Randall was a terrible liar. Yeah. Weaving very unconvincing tales to anyone who would listen. In his room, they also found a bunch of laminated pornography mm. and homemade sex toys made from stolen medical equipment, likely from his mother's place of employment. One thing that was not there was Randall. They mm -hmm. couldn't find him anywhere. So Jeez. keep that in mind. Oof. After interviewing neighbors about Randall, Lawson quickly put out an APB on Randall and his truck that was also currently missing from the driveway. And shortly afterwards, he put out a warrant for Randall's arrest, complete with a fairly recent photo of him. Mm -hmm. After a full week of searching with no leads as to Randall's whereabouts, Lawson wondered if the note that he'd found in Randall's room was alluding to Randall potentially completing suicide, mm. possibly in some remote area of the nearby forest. Wow. While it was not a common scenario, it certainly seemed possible given his track record of disappearing for chunks of time and considering that he was the last known person, you know, to have seen them most likely. Yeah. He was the only real suspect. Right. And given his kind of penchant for telling crazy stories, yeah. like yeah. what would something like this be but a one last tall yeah. tale to remember me by kind of thing? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, bloody fingerprint all of the stuff that he has of theirs. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's kind of like, why would you even want to try to lie like in such a grandiose way? Mm -hmm. It's like, lie about something. I mean, still, you shouldn't. Like, I hope that he would just be honest. But obviously, we're talking about Lying Randall? Yes. <laughs> like, lie about something. But man, if you're going to lie about something, make it something believable. He had mm -hmm. obviously no... Like, whatever that is in your brain that says, mm, I should filter this down to something that's, like, within scope of reality. Right. Well, and <sighs> so Lawson was really, just after, especially after talking with neighbors mm -hmm. who all kind of corroborated, he makes up these wild things. Yeah. That kind of stuck out to him. Like, yeah, what a tall tale to remember him by kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like, he was the final victim of the mysterious unknown trail killer. Right. You know. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc 
With no updates on Randall, almost a month since the bodies were discovered, Lawson decided to take a trip to Myrtle Beach in South Carolina with his family. Hmm. And shockingly, when he was there, he would get a very interesting phone call. It turns out that a man matching Randall's description had been arrested and was being held at a prison in Myrtle Beach. Oh, that's super random. Like, how is that even possible? Yeah. On June 11th, Randall's truck had been found in a parking lot. The plates had been removed, but when police in South Carolina compared the truck to the one on the APB that Giles County put out, Mm -hmm. they decided to search the truck. They found a note in the truck that read, quote, The boy and the girl have been so nice to me. It's going to be a real shame when the time comes to get rid of them. I'll be far away before the truck and those people are found, end quote. Oh, geez. So, Randall. Police launched a manhunt, and after a few short days, they found Randall camping at a site near where his truck was found. Yeah, so he didn't go very far. (laughs) No. This was on June 22nd. Local police arrived at Lawson's hotel with Randall in the back seat. He was dirty, skinny, and covered in really irritated bug bites, and like hundreds Mm. of them. Oof. A detail that Lawson would quickly leverage. Hmm. So Lawson first asked Randall for his name, and what are you doing out here, buddy? Yeah. But the man in the back seat claimed that he'd bumped his head and gotten amnesia, so he simply couldn't remember where he was from or what he was doing. First of all, that's not how amnesia works. That is not how amnesia works. You don't just, like, get amnesia <laughs> from bonking your head. Right. You can develop amnesia from things like heart attacks, major strokes, brain cancer, carbon monoxide poisoning, and so mm-hmm. on. While severe, you, severe head injuries. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say next. Yeah. You can obviously sustain a serious concussion from a head injury that can have all kinds of complications mm-hmm. to that follow. But there was no indicators that Randall had even hit his head anyways. Yeah. So it was obvious to Lawson that Lion Randall was staying true to his namesake. Mm-hmm. In order to be able to quickly transport him across state lines, Lawson played into the bug bites. Hmm. He leaned in. And kind of like took a look at all of Randall's bites and kind of like slowly shook his head and walked over to another officer and began talking with him in hushed tones, which got Randall curious. He's like, Mm -hmm. "Uh, what are you guys talking about? Lawson told him that he was worried that those bug bites could lead to some serious infection if they weren't treated. And that infection could be deadly. Mm. Like he really played it up. Yeah, yeah. But in order to be able to receive treatment, they would need a signature from Randall like with his full legal name to authorize medical care. But darn it, you don't remember your name, so those bug bites can't be treated. This might be what gets you, buddy. Sorry, we couldn't do more to help. So Randall, who was extremely freaked out by this, quickly agreed to sign a form. And so he signed his full name, Randall L. Smith. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) They like, I don't even think that the officers even conferred with each other. They're like, Oh, boy. It's like what oh I do gosh. when our two-year-old gets caught right, exactly. with something that he's not supposed to have. Jeez. <laughs> Uh-oh. Oh, buddy. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. And yeah. it worked. <laughs> oh, it, apparently. That's crazy. And with that, Randall was sent back to Virginia where he was promptly charged with two counts of first-degree murder. Given hmm. the evidence found at the crime scene, as well as evidence found in Randall's home and truck, it was clear that there was a level of premeditation to these crimes and that Randall had made an effort to cover his tracks in order to not be caught. Mm-hmm. It was not a valiant effort. Like, he kind of pooched it and left <laughs> yes. breadcrumbs, but yes. like, whatever. This is what investigators believed had happened to the two hikers. Somewhere between May 15th and the 19th, Randall had hiked to the area surrounding Dismal Creek so he could camp out. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. While on a hike, he ran into Laura Susan Ramsey and Robert Mountford and began to travel with them. This was later corroborated by multiple witnesses who remembered seeing the pair with a gaunt, dirty man matching Mm. Randall's description. Okay, interesting. Like I said earlier, hiking a portion of the trail with hikers that you meet along the way is a pretty common thing. Yeah. And so the two likely didn't really think anything of it. Yeah. After hiking for a while, they reached the portion of the trail near the Wapiti shelter and decided to camp out for the night. Hmm. Based on the contents of their stomachs discovered during their autopsies, the two had eaten a large meal and then went to bed shortly after. Hmm. It's believed that Randall hid during that time that they were eating and settling into the shelter and then waited for them to go to sleep. He then took out his small gun, which was a 22 caliber pistol, and shot Robert in the head. But because the gun wasn't a super powerful one, the gunshot to his head did not kill Robert. Hmm. They believe wow. that Robert charged Randall to try and take the gun away from him, but that during their struggle, Randall shot him two more times in the face at point-blank range, which did kill him. Jeez. Oh. From there, they believe that Randall grabbed a fire poker from the fireplace and beat Laura with it to subdue her. He then grabbed a large nail that was part of the construction of the shelter and stabbed her repeatedly, mm-hmm. along with stabbing her with his own knife. Jeez. Laura put up a huge fight based off of the defensive wounds that they found, but sadly she would succumb to her injuries. Randall then tucked each body into their respective sleeping bags, dug shallow graves at different locations, and buried each of them, covering the graves with leaves to conceal the bodies. Mm. He then hiked around, dispersing their belongings in different locations nearby, possibly in an attempt to make it less obvious that all of the items belonged to the victims. Yeah. And to me... Just thinking about Lion Randall for a second. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to me, it seems like that was another thing that he thought was like adding something to this whole story. You know, mm. like if I can confuse yeah. the investigators, if I can, I'm, I, it's like buried treasure. I'm leaving a trail and they don't even know it. Look at how smart I am. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. That kind of thought process mm. potentially. Yeah, he's just kind of thinking through like, how can I make this story even grander yeah. in his mind? Right. Yeah. The biggest trouble here was that there was a very obvious lack of motive. And to this very day, there's no agreed upon motive. And Randall would Hmm. also never give one. This had led, you know, over the years, it's led to a lot of speculation and a few theories. So some people believe that Randall had seen the beautiful young woman and tried to flirt with her, but was interrupted by Robert. Sure. He then hiked with them to lower their guards. And then he killed them under the cover of night due to the anger that he felt from being rejected. Another theory is that Randall killed them simply because they were there. And according to some interviews with neighbors, Randall had this weird kind of role that he'd assigned to himself Mm -hmm. as like the keeper of the trail. And so anyone that he believed was invading the trail could have potentially become a target. Hmm. This opens up the possibility that this double murder was not his only murder also. Oh, oof. Another theory posed by an author of like, it's kind of like a somewhat fictional retelling of the story. It's like Mm -hmm. dramatized. Okay. It's called Murders on the Appalachian Trail. Is that maybe, given their work as social workers, that when this troubled young person, who's the same age as them, met with them on the trail, that maybe they'd attempted to counsel him. Because they noticed something's not quite right. Yeah, yeah. And that maybe he was offended by that, believing they were like looking down on him. And so mm. he stalked them and murdered them. So whatever his motive may have been, it was still plainly obvious that it was Randall who committed the murders. There's yeah. so much yeah. evidence to back that up. 
So while it was clear that he had some oddities about him, Lawson was convinced that Randall was mentally competent to stand trial for his crimes. Hmm. Despite this, Randall would go in and out of faking amnesia. He was also showing signs of like disassociating during interviews hmm. and, and interrogations. So when he was examined by a psychologist, it was determined that he was faking all of these things. Oh, geez. The prosecution worked to build their case against him. But even with loads of evidence against Randall, the motive for the crimes was unclear enough for the prosecution to have doubts about securing a conviction. So I'm not a lawyer. Oh, I'm wow. not going to pretend to be. But I am very surprised at this next move. Randall was offered a plea deal. Hmm. If Randall would plead guilty to two counts of second-degree murder, then he'd only have to serve a 30-year sentence, and they could avoid sending this case to trial and him potentially not being convicted at all. Mm -hmm. Randall accepted the plea deal on March 23rd, 1982, and predictably, the whole community was absolutely outraged that the plea was ever even an option to begin with. Yeah, jeez. The parents of the victims were originally told that he'd be serving something like 71 and a half years in prison yeah. for two counts of first-degree murder. The fact that he would get 15 years for each murder served only as a slap in the face to the grieving families, yeah. to the victims who had their lives stolen from them, and to the community and tourists and hikers in the years to come. Oh, that's so weird. Robert Sr. would go on to say, quote, he's not even serving for one death, let alone two, mm -hmm. end quote. Mm -hmm. Outside of the courtroom on the day of sentencing, hikers protested the plea deal, and the Appalachian Trail Conservancy issued a statement saying, Smith is the first person convicted of murdering a hiker who has had the opportunity to leave prison, end quote. Wow. So not only that, but this was the first known double murder to take place on the Appalachian Trail at all. Wow. And so oh the my. whole way that this is handled made yeah. a lot of people very understandably upset. Yeah. Despite public hmm. outrage, within five short years, Randall was eligible for parole. Wow. Thankfully, his request for parole at the five-year mark and the 10-year mark were both denied. Yeah. But on September 27th, 1996, Randall Smith was paroled for good behavior after serving only 15 years for double homicide. Wow. The condition for his release was that for the next 10 years, he would have to wear an electric monitor that would track his whereabouts at all times. Mm -hmm. So some sources said that it was house arrest and others said that it wasn't. It was just a monitoring system. Mm -hmm. Like he could come and go places, but he needed to be monitored. Yeah. Not sure which one is the case. Sure, sure. Either As way, either way, up. he's being watched and he's not allowed to just go randomly hike trails without anybody knowing what he's mm -hmm. doing. Yeah. Or flee the state. Right. Once again, the public and Ramsey and Mountford's parents were furious at this new development. Not only was his 30-year sentence a joke, but he had only served half of it. Mm -hmm. Like, how is that justice? Yeah. After his release, Randall returned to his mother's home in Ingram, the once-toned, strong young man, now a scrawny shell of his former self, according mm -hmm. to his mother. So he, like, he lost all his muscle. He's a very skinny, right. kind of yeah. shadowy figure now. Well, he wasn't working out in mm -hmm. in traditional terms. Wasn't hiking prison. miles and right. miles a day. Yeah. yeah. During this time, Randall became a total recluse. His mom would run all of the errands, and for the most part, he just stayed home and did nothing. Mm. One set of neighbors was routinely annoyed and kind of pestered by Randall. In 1999, the Stefan family moved into the house behind Randall's, and he saw this as an opportunity to tell some tall tales to some fresh faces. Mm. It started out pretty simple. He told them about his girlfriends in Vegas and about his years as a Green Beret in Vietnam. 
He also asked them if he could access or even purchase a portion of their land so that he could put a trailer there or look for arrowheads and have easier access to the Appalachian Trail. Hmm. They all but told him to like F off and leave him alone. (laughs) Like they were nice with him. Like they tried to be his friend for a while, but it was like a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot. When Randall's mother passed away in 2000, he would sometimes venture out of the house and would be seen wandering his property, talking to trees or to passersby who rarely gave him a second glance. Mm -hmm. Shortly after he adopted a dog named Bo and the two quickly became best friends. Hmm. That's good. Like he got a dog. Okay. Randall's weirdness with the Stefan property continued to be a problem though. Hmm. Anytime someone would get close to the Stefan's property line, he'd like scream at them, telling them that he killed people before. And if you don't go away, I'll kill you too. Like legitimate bodily threats. Threats. Yeah. Real threats. The Stefans would occasionally check in on Randall, knowing that he was alone and that he had a criminal history. And that he would, you know, still make these kind of odd, inappropriate comments, which made them a little nervous. So I feel like their intention for checking in on him was kind of like threefold in that way. Yeah. Like, is he okay? He's alone. Yeah. He has nobody. They feel a moral obligation to Mm -hmm. just make sure that their neighbor is surviving. And then also, we need to make sure he's not killing anybody. Right. And I already forgot the Another last thing I said. Another moral obligation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I already forgot the last thing I said. They they do seem like kind people, yeah. though, who really got a rough neighbor situation. So. Mm. He would also make inappropriate comments, like, a lot. So he yeah. told Mr. Stefan that he was super into watching his wife. She was, like, so beautiful. Oh. I could spot her from a mile away. Like, <sighs> Beat yeah, somebody up for that one. Yeah, <laughs> you would not stop that. This I would continue- agree with them, and then I would beat them up. <laughs> you wouldn't. You literally would not. The only time you've ever been in a physical altercation that I know of is when you got punched in the face at a gas station for telling a guy to stop hitting the woman he was with. That's true. That's, That's the only true. time that I know of. I also got in a fight in the eighth grade, but that you one, did. I don't need to tell you about that one because it ended kind of poorly for me so you lost <laughs> i did not lose it was a draw but <laughs> okay. but it was a draw that ended with i got thrown uh across the hall stood up and then he was gone and i'm like what what i was very upset because i was ready to fight and then i, didn't. I don't understand any of this but so. i do i do appreciate <laughs> that so these kinds of interactions would continue for a long time on september 26th 2006, Randall's time of being monitored came to a close, which gave him a fresh lease on life. He began hiking more often with his trusty dog, Bo, by his side. By 2008, Randall's electric and water services were turned off because he hadn't been paying his bills. And so he decided that he and Bo would just go live in the woods. Well, that sounds about right for a guy like that. Yeah. In all honesty. So we're going to, yeah. I, I, okay. Obviously, this guy has some issues going on. He has not had a job, it doesn't sound like, in a I don't long think so. time. Mm-mm. 30 years at this point, mm-hmm. or, you know, 20, 20 some odd years at this point. Mm-hmm. He and ran, straight up just ran out of money. Yeah, yeah. So, there's a degree of it where I'm like, wishing I could be compassionate in certain ways. Then there's other ways that I'm like, dude, you you don't have like enough enough issues. Like he's had jobs. 
Mm-hmm. He, he's not like somebody who's unable to work. Mm-hmm. Like he's totally able. So I'm kind of like, well, that that kind of happens when you don't just like take care of a few things that right. you just need to do. Right. There's just so much about about his time after his time in prison that we don't know. That's like fair. I I That's do fair. wonder if he had mandatory meetings with a psychologist and mandatory counseling or anything like that. I do wonder if there is something undiagnosed. Um, I'm obviously not in the position to yeah, make that call. Yeah, we're both speculating. That's totally a good point. speculating. Yeah. I want to be careful about that and not put everybody into a box that exhibits certain behaviors, you know. But I do think in Randall's case, he the the level of commitment to lying and causing a scene mm-hmm. is very unique to him. I can't think of a lot of people where this is yeah. their tendency that they don't have some sort of formal diagnosis. Right. I couldn't find anything hmm. though. And so I wonder if that was due to lack of resources like yeah. provided to him or if that's because he did not have any mental illness. Yeah. Well, um, and he was just anything, had more just fun had a, creating a story. Yeah. That, or he just had some kind of a, a, a social disease. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it, it was more, more, along those lines than something that's actually chemical. Like social anxiety. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something like that. And I mean, we know plenty of people with social anxiety who don't do these sorts of things, but right. <laughs> uh, so there's, there's no excuse. Right. However, there, there can be at least some kind of an explanation for some erratic behavior and mm-hmm. some things that are just kind of like, dude, come on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, right. That's, that's my, my feeling anyway in this moment. So, right. As you were saying. So by May yeah. of 2008, there was a concern from the neighbors who had not seen Randall and mm-hmm. they hadn't heard from him. Mm-hmm. And so they were starting to have police come check on the situation. They couldn't find Randall anywhere. Right. So on May 6th, 2008, where we began our story, we're going to pick back up pick where we left off. Up. Okay. Well, yeah. well, kind of recap and then we'll pick up where sure. we left off. Two lifelong friends planned on camping out near Dismal Creek. One of them, Scott Johnston, had spent several hours fishing and had caught six trout that he was loading up into his truck Mm -hmm. when he came across a mangy dog and a skinny, very dirty man in the woods. The man seemed to be lonely and hungry and had introduced himself as Ricky Williams, which we now know that this was Randall Smith. Mm -hmm. Scott invited him back to the campsite where his friend Sean Farmer was waiting. They cooked up the fish and shared their catch with Randall, who supplied them with fantastical stories before walking (laughs) off into the woods with his dog. He then pulled out his small 22 caliber pistol and shot Sean Farmer directly in the face. Oh, no. Sean fell to the ground, his ears ringing from the sound of the gunshot and his vision swirling. Randall turned towards Scott and took aim, but Scott had run off into the trees. Randall Mm. fired off a few shots, striking Scott twice once in the neck and once in the back. But miraculously, Scott kept running. Sean stood up and tried to fight off his attacker, but Randall shot him again, this time in the chest. Oh my gosh. But Sean was not a little guy. He was six foot four and 325 pounds of pure determination. (laughs) That and the gun, which is most likely the same one used to kill Mm -hmm. Robert Mountford, was not very powerful. Yeah. Disoriented from being shot twice and with blood pouring into his eyes, he tried to focus on his attacker who was pointing the gun at him. But this time when Randall pulled the trigger, instead of another shot, 
came the telltale sound of the click of an empty gun. Oh, man. He's out of bullets. Yeah. The two stared silently at each other for a short moment before Sean took off running for his Jeep, not looking over his shoulder to see if he was being followed. So Hmm. he just booked it. Yeah. He jumped into the Jeep and turned it on, alerting Scott that he'd made it to the vehicle. Scott, who was losing a lot of blood from the wound in his neck, Mm -hmm. took off running in the direction of the Jeep, plugging the bullet hole in his neck with his finger. Jeez. Yeah, he just stuck his finger into the bullet hole. This feels like a movie. I'm going to probably say that a lot because this is nuts. Yeah. So he's literally covered in blood that had been previously spraying out of the hole in his neck, which is unbelievable. Wow. He ran as fast as his feet would carry him and stopped Sean in the Jeep, waving him down just in time. Mm -hmm. He climbed into the passenger seat and screamed at Sean to go now. Yeah. Now, this is so wild. Straight out of a movie. These guys Mm. are amazing. So with Sean unable to see from his bleeding and like his eyes were both swelling up almost to the point that they were swelling shut at this point. Yeah. And with Scott needing to keep the pressure on his wound in his neck, they decided to tag team the hazardous drive back to civilization. Oh my gosh. Sean manned the pedals of the Jeep while Scott steered and told Sean when to accelerate or slow down and like that kind of stuff. Oh my gosh. They flew down the mountainside at nearly 50 miles an hour, narrowly avoiding several accidents despite the several sharp turns and the lack of guardrails on the road down. When they finally found a house, they stopped the Jeep in the middle of the street and ran to the front door of the home, shouting at the homeowner to call 911 because they'd both been hurt. The homeowner, Melissa Miller, answered the door. When she saw the two men covered head to toe in blood, she initially thought it was some kind of trick or ruse and that maybe they were robbers or something more sinister. Yeah. But thankfully, she was able to help them once she recognized Sean Farmer as her friend's ex-boyfriend. Oh, wow. So she knew them, which is like a huge stroke of luck. that's That's a crazy stroke of luck. She called 911 and brought them inside, bringing them blankets and attempting to slow the bleeding on their injuries. 45 minutes later, a helicopter arrived to airlift the men to the nearest hospital. Sean had actually, like, flatlined at least once. Oh, my god! But he was stabilized, and then the men were finally able to take a deep breath. They had just made an impossible escape from an armed maniac, and they were on their way to receiving help at the Carillion, I really hope I said that right, Roanoke Memorial Hospital. A team of doctors was waiting for them to arrive. Both men would survive their injuries and make full recoveries. Wow. It was learned that the bullet that pierced Scott's neck missed his carotid artery by less than a millimeter. Jeez. And that the bullet in Sean's face was had been jammed in his sinuses. So it didn't hit his brain, didn't hit him in the eyes. Wow. And the one that struck him in the chest got lodged between two ribs. Mm -hmm. So it didn't penetrate a lung or his heart. That is crazy. Yeah. What are the odds of that? And like, they made no right. mention of the bullet in Scott's back, but he was shot in his back too. Right. And like, he just made a full recovery. This is amazing. We don't That's get this crazy. in stories in true crime, like almost ever. Right. So I'm so right. happy that this is how it turned out for them. Yeah. So happy. So both men gave statements to police and were able to identify Randall uh, by a photo shortly after, uh-huh. which is great. Wow. So while the men made their incredible journey through the woods and mountains in search of help, Randall was up to his own business. Hmm. After messing around with his gun for a minute, he stole Scott's truck and attempted to drive it down the mountain, but crashed it after a short police chase. Oh, jeez. 
The state trooper who had been pursuing him called for help for Randall, who was rushed to the very same hospital where Sean and Scott were being treated at that exact moment. Oh my gosh. At the scene of the accident, some interesting things were uncovered. In the truck were the belongings of Scott and Sean that they had believed that Randall stole from the campsite. Mm -hmm. They also found the pistol, handfuls of women's underwear, more than 30 knives, What? And on the floor of the truck, investigators discovered some notes and drawings. One of the notes read, quote, Hail to the guardians of the watchtower of the north. By the powers of mother and earth, hear me, show me thy glory. I invoke thee, O ancient ones, end quote. Oh, wow. Which turns out to be a prayer of some kind. Hmm. Uh, People do cite this prayer along with other notes and drawings to point to the keeper of the trail theory. Okay. For why Randall chose to attack and murder, or at least oh, attempt to murder people. Sure. Okay. That maybe he believed that he had been like appointed by yes. the earth to protect the Appalachian Trail. Yeah, or he's made like a like a sacrifice to a god or something. Interesting you would say that. Okay. They also found a cassette tape that I don't think has ever been released to the public. Hmm. On the cassette, police claimed it was a recording of, quote, some kind of satanic ritual, end quote. Oof. They also found a map with several points marked down. They later on searched all of the areas that had been marked, but didn't find anything. Hmm. So nobody really knows what that was about. Yeah. Wow. Randall Smith was released from the hospital to the medical wing of the New River Valley Regional Jail. Randall was uncooperative, to say the least. Yeah. He tried to say that he attacked and shot both of the men in self-defense. And Mm. he also never gave a reason for any of his attacks. Four days after the shooting on May 10th, 2008, he was found dead in his cell. It would later be determined that he likely died from a blood clot that had formed due to his accident. He was 54 years old. Jeez. While justice was never fully served for Laura Susan Ramsey or Robert Mountford, nor was it served for Scott Johnston or Sean Farmer, Mm -hmm. the case of the double murder on the Appalachian Trail remains an important case that is referenced when similar attacks take place, Mm -hmm. which isn't super often, but we had a machete attack in on the Appalachian Trail in 2019. That wow. was also a double homicide. It was horrifying. It was oh, a nightmare. Wow. And there was a lot of um, protocols that I think that they absorbed from this investigation. Like okay. This was a very yeah. important investigation. So mm. it's also not forgotten in any way. Sean Farmer is convinced that Randall Smith had more victims whose families will never get closure. Yeah. And Scott Johnston credits Randall's death in prison to karma. The two have remained friends and still go camping near Dismal Creek, their love for spending time together in the outdoors far overshadowing their traumatic experience. And that is what I have for you today. Yeah. Well, if anything, those guys are immortals because... I want them to live forever. To get... (laughs) They're my heroes. Four gunshots and have all of them land in like the ideal, other than not getting shot. Right. (laughs) The ideal way is... Uh, incredible. Oh my goodness. And their journey down the yeah. trail to get back yeah. to civilization. Unbelievable wow. that they pulled that off. Cause Sean yeah. literally could not see Yeah. once, you know, we learned that the bullet was lodged in his sinuses. And so that his makes sense. face was swollen shut. He couldn't yeah. see anything. Yeah. And then oh, <laughs> there's Scott wow. sticking his finger in a bullet wound that mm-hmm. is less than a millimeter from his artery. Yeah. Well, and just to think if insane, if, Either one of them had been killed. They couldn't have made that drive. No, they needed each other. I feel like I got that vibe the whole time that they were, Mm -hmm. that I've, anything I've read from them or about them, that they were very much aware and they 
they've loved each other their whole lives. I yeah. think they're, I think that they were childhood best friends. Wow, that's really cool. And so, yeah, oh. so it turned out to be a Jeez. story of friendship. Did that almost yeah. get you choked up? Yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> Good. That's really sweet. It is sweet. So I hope My that they're goodness. still doing well and, and that they're going to go camping soon and that they're having a nice time. Yeah, yeah. I love a survivor story. That is good. We don't get enough survivals. I know. <laughs> when it comes true to true crime I know. stories. So that that is crazy. Wow. Whew. Well, thank you for lis- to our listeners for listening to the unusual, unsettling, and unsavory story today. Uh, more on the unusual side today, I would say, thankfully. I'm glad it's not too unsavory. There's some unsavory moments for sure. sure. Yeah. And it's obviously like still. This is very unusual. Yeah. Yeah. Unusual by far. Yeah. And my goodness, uh, I still can't believe it's funny that, that uh, I forget who it was, Scott or whichever one, Sean, whoever said that it's karma that he would die in prison. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That he would die in prison just like that. Like the day uh, or the, the four days later. Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure like a crazy thing to look at and be like, well, he could have served 30 years, 15 years, 72 and a half years Mm -hmm. in any one of those cases. But instead, he just died there. Poetic justice. Poetic justice. That doesn't always feel just, I'm sure, to Mm -hmm. some people. But in other ways, it also feels almost more just. It's kind of like, but yeah, to go to the point of he could have had more... uh, more victims is is still very sad. Yeah. And oh man. Yeah. Obviously I'm not even done like processing this story, but we'll go ahead and wrap this up. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast on your favorite listening platform and that you leave a glowing five-star review on that platform. And you know, I'll just say if uh, you want to leave a five-star review on all of the platforms, I don't think anybody's paying attention to that. Uh, go I ahead. wouldn't be mad about I that I wouldn't be all. mad about I'd that. I'd be like, okay with that. Yeah. If you're an Apple Podcasts listener, but you have a Spotify account for some reason, like, go ahead and just go leave a little five-star give review her a little, too. Give yeah. a little, little yeah. five-star. Copy and paste. I don't care. Do, do what you want to do. What you, want to do. <laughs> you can't copy and paste a five-star review, Kevin. <laughs> oh, that's true, I guess. Well, you know, just type something similar. That's fine. Those five. The reason is because those five-star reviews do help people who listen to similar podcasts to this one to find this podcast. So if you really enjoy it, that is a great way to help. Also, you can follow us on all of our social media at this one is a doozy on TikTok and Instagram. And this one's a doozy podcast on Facebook. I'll also say you have been doing a great job on our social medias recently. Thank you. (laughs) They've been so good. They've been great teasers. I really have a hard time with social media. <laughs> I'm trying so hard. Oh, man. If you haven't <laughs> seen these really cool teasers that Haley's been doing, they are worth a watch and then just letting it run a few more times through just to like, <laughs> raise those <Stop> views <laughs> and a like and a comment. And if you're somebody who found this podcast because of those, please let us know in oh those gosh, comments. That would make me so happy. It would. It would feel for you. It would feel like you are are doing something worthwhile. And that's why I brought it up. Because yes. I think I think it would be really fun for people to to leave those comments and for, for us to see those. Yeah. Lastly, you can connect to us even more directly over on Patreon. My love, why don't you tell them a little bit about Patreon? Yes. So you can follow the link in our Instagram bio or our Facebook about section, or you can go to patreon.com slash doozypod. And for $5 a month, you can support our show. 
you will get access to polls where you can help us vote on episode topics, as well as our monthly cause nonprofit organization that we'll be giving to. And you will get access to ad-free content. And as of February, you will also get bonus Mm, episodes each month. So head on over there and uh, check her out. And if you're interested, we would love to have you. That's right. Well, with that, we will see you next week for another doozy. Bye. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the King of Sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.